Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 352 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. Thrilled that you are here with me today as I am talking to a student and a friend, Layla Corey Hanald. And you're going to love it. We talk about nourishing the writer that you are, the human that you are. We talk a little bit about puttering around our manuscript, the 15-minute cleanup. Uh, We talk about some amazing things. And I have been truly so honored to work with Layla you're going to love this episode. So please stick around for that one. Uh, what has been going on around here? Y'all, can I just have a, a, a week? A week where nothing happens? That's maybe maybe a couple of weeks. Nothing nothing bad has happened. Everything good is, you know, that's great. I love, I love that. But um, we have had our sometimes dog, Patty, who we've had for the last year or so off and on. He has come to stay for four days. And he and the puppy... Not so much. Not so much in the same room. They, uh, Patty's always been an only boy, and uh, uh, our darling Junebug has lost all training that she ever had in the two weeks that we had her before Patty came to stay for four days. It has been intense, and I'm exhausted. I don't know how parents get puppies. What? I, I cannot. Uh, he goes home tonight, and I love him so much, and I can't wait to see you go, Patty. Honestly, if you get a puppy and you think you're overwhelmed, get another dog that doesn't really fit in well with the puppy's uh, personality, and suddenly just having one puppy is going to be so easy. So that has been a lot. Um, but what's been lovely and also always heartbreaking is that the 90 days to done classes are finishing this week and we had our last sessions yesterday and I it's always so bittersweet you know I am so chuffed to see all the work that they have done and the books that they have finished and the revising that they have done and and I don't want to lose them I don't want to let them go and also I know it is time for them to fly and go do their thing um and so that's going on. Uh, next week, I just want to lie on the floor and look at the ceiling. Although next week, I will probably, not probably, I will be opening 90 Days to Done and 90 Day Revision. So if you have thought about doing that before, uh, I was originally going to offer it in July, but now I am offering it May, June, July. So next week, I am recording this on March 30th. Do be on my writer's email newsletter list because you will be alerted when it is open. Both of those classes fill up very, very quickly. So that will be coming next week, I hope. And then I'm going to lie on the floor and look up at the ceiling for a while and just breathe. Although there will still be a puppy chewing on my hair. So uh, we're doing a lot of training and all the things and she's still so wonderful. Oh, little Junebug. She is just a dear heart, as is Patty. They're just not energetically aligned at this moment, except when they're outside chasing sticks, mm, energetic, energetic perfection is what they are. They are so, so cute. Uh, what else has been going on? I would like to thank two new patrons, actually one new patron and one um, up pledge, Kathy G. Oh, Kathy, I wish for you, because I know you, that you wake up with that foot healed, no boot needed, and that you are dancing at midnight asking 
how did I get here? And how am I going to write about it? And V.E. Griffith, thank you, my friend. He upped his pledge to the level where I am now his mini coach. And you can ask me as many questions as you want. And I do have a bonus episode coming next week for you. Uh, V.E., I wish for you the speed of a thousand pens rushing into battle. No, wait. A thousand swords. No, maybe um, a thousand steeds. Okay, I wish you sturdy, conquering words that do just what you need them to do when you need them to work for you. Thank you, V.E. I appreciate you. And I appreciate all all y'all patrons uh, so much. Okay, let's jump into the interview because I don't have too much of uh, another update for you. That's it. Let's get into talking to Layla, uh, food and lifestyle journalist. Layla Corey Hanold has written for Food 52, Food Network, Refinery 29, the Chicago Tribune, and the James Beard Foundation. Living in six countries before age 15 cultivated her obsession with food, from grape leaves at her Lebanese grandma's table to escargot in Paris, haggis in Scotland, and fish cheeks in Indonesia. Prior to becoming a professional writer, she studied fashion marketing in Paris and worked as a PR assistant for Food Network, where no press release was issued without the Layla touch. She lives with her golf pro husband, precocious daughter, and chocolate Labrador in Roanoke, Virginia. And please, please enjoy this interview with Layla. I know you will. She's an absolute delight. And I wish for you, my friends, some stolen moments of writing time that you didn't see coming, that suddenly you have, even if you don't want to write in that moment, you pick up the pen anyway. You open the document anyway, and something comes out that surprises you. That is what I wish for you. Happy writing, and here we go. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month, I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically, I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. All right. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome you to the show today. I'm so happy to have you. Will you please share your name and your pronouns with us? Uh, my name is Layla Corey Hanold, and my pronouns are she, her, and I am so excited to be here too. Thank you for having me. Layla, oh, it's so, so good to have you. So you have been my student a couple of times now, right? Two two rounds. Yes. We did 90 days to done and 90 day revision. Yes. And that's how we know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we know each other well. But I haven't talked to you in a little while as we've been on break and stuff. Yeah. And I want to know right now, before we jump into your writing process, how are you? Where's stuff going with your book? Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on? Yeah. So I think, um, being that we're recording this towards the end of the year, um, you know, as a freelance writer, I'm often just like always onto the next thing, always onto the next thing and never really taking 
stock um, of, you know, what I've accomplished or where I've been. And I think that happens too in my book writing process. And Mm -hmm. so I am taking a moment to celebrate the fact that I wrote and revised a book this year. You sure as hell did. Yeah, with the um, wonderful support of you in the 90 Days to Done and 90 Days to Revision class. So um, I went through a couple rounds of revision after I completed the 90 Days to Done revision, and I handed off my manuscript to a developmental editor at the end of October, and I just got my edits back yesterday. So I have um, read through the letter and, um, you know, I I guess I had heard all kinds of stories, um, but I really um, admire and trust uh, my editor, Alison K. Williams. And she just was so spot on with like what I knew. I've said this before, but structure is going to haunt me until the very end. However, I think, um, you know, it's, it was sort of like the good news is that, you know, it just needs to be organized a bit better. I think the way she put it is all the pearls are there. Now we need the string. So I take some sort of comfort in that. Um, And I guess also the good news is that I feel really excited to dive back in, in the new year and to touch my manuscript again, because in that lull, um, you know, I maybe did some like adjacent writing, you know, some essay writing, but I didn't do anything with the manuscript. And so that at that point, you have some self doubt that likes to creep in, but it's more um, a nervous anticipation at this point to uh, take the next step to uh, reorganizing it and stringing the pearls. I love that we're talking to you so fresh after that nuclear explosion (laughs) of the first developmental edit with the letter and the thing. And you're standing, you're smiling, you're excited about getting back into it. I am. Oh, that is so, so cool. Did she, did she tell you anything that you didn't see coming or, or for me, a lot of times developmental edit letters are like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yes. I, I agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. What What was your experience with that? It was, it was a lot of that nodding and agreeing and, <laughs> and yes. Um, one thing that kind of surprised me, but maybe shouldn't have is that, you know, having gone through several rounds of revision and done the sentence outline each time, I thought I had done a really good job of paring down the number of scenes and really trying to write deeply into scenes and Um, I can see how much work there still is to do, particularly in the beginning. So to see somebody else list out this paragraph where like 14 different things happen in the first, you know, 25, 30 pages was kind of like, I don't know, a good reminder that, okay, there, there is more revision work to be done. Um, And yeah, I felt that you know, I, you have told me before, you know, I have a very lyrical yet sturdy voice and it made me feel good to know that she thought the writing was there on a sentence level. And she said there were certain um, places where the language was phenomenal. And so, you know, I think creatives and writers were a little bit not needy. Everyone needs a little bit of like cheerleading and validation. Um, So I think that made me feel 
really good and I know how hard I worked on it. So, um, yeah, I was, I was a bit nervous about the letter, but even though Allison sometimes calls herself the unkind editor, um, I felt very well taken care of. And the reason she says that is because, um, you know, she, she doesn't want to just give you like the good stuff. And so I really felt well taken care of in the sense that, um, I left with a clear sense of what was working and what wasn't and a clear plan for moving ahead. Um, and that really speaks to my, my planning side and my need to sort of have some direction, um, or at least something else to, to think about and how to implement the next, the next steps. I think you're going to love doing it. I think you're going to love getting <laughs> your hands dirty in there again and just moving stuff around. And it's, it is so validating and important to have that outside voice who hasn't seen, seen any part of it, who's coming to it cold and who really knows their job and knows what they're doing and can tell you that your writing is phenomenal. That is, yeah, I absolutely I mean, love that. who doesn't get tired of hearing that? Right? <laughs> None of, we all, we all need more of that. Oh, yeah. That's wonderful. Tell yeah. us a little bit about your writing process because you are a busy human being. How, when yeah. and where and how do you get it all done? So I, uh, I'm a freelance food writer. Um, I sometimes write a bit about travel lifestyle, but mainly food. So, um, I have, you know, my, my day writing job. Um, but what I have found most helpful is to prioritize my memoir writing and, um, just even block off one hour in the morning, right after I drop my daughter, Ava, uh, off at school. And just really take that time. And sometimes it's helpful. I'm not like even, you know, fully like alert and, and present, but just to touch the manuscript and, you know, like everybody, sometimes I, I don't feel like it. And so then there are, you know, all the tricks that I've gleaned from other writers to, to get to the chair. But I find just putting the intention of putting it on my calendar, I put everything on my calendar. Um, and yeah, so I, I try to do it mainly first thing in the morning um, before I get into the other writing assignments, um, because sometimes um, it's a lot to do interviews and reporting, you know, especially if it's a, a reported feature. Um, and just I think I'm much more aware of the mental energy that the different types of writing take <clears throat> and how to better maybe not better, but more realistically schedule the time around that. So, um, but with that said, I have also um, realized that there's, you know, this power we have as writers, which is that we get to rewrite our own narrative. And yeah. so I used to say, if I don't write in the morning, it's not going to happen. Mm. And I have found that that's just not true. That's an old story that I like to tell myself. Oh, and um, you know, there were times, you know, in the, in the summer where, you know, five o'clock is cocktail hour in our house. And so Ava gets her juice and cartoons. And if it's nice, we sit out on the porch. And so I would just not even have a drink. Most times I would just take my laptop and just sort of dip in and do a little bit of work. And that felt, um, relaxed and really enjoyable. And, um, I found that I attached much less to, the outcome, um, which I think has been really important for my writing process as well. 
especially for a journalist there that has got to be such a major mental shift to be able to make because you were dealing you're, you've always dealt with little packets of pieces that you write and then you make as perfect as you can and then you release quickly the the cycle yeah. is so 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 fast and then to have to i like i like how you put um the different uh, the different feelings or i can't remember what you just said different feelings or weights of the different parts of writing that we do but i've really seen you and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've really seen you relax into this memoir in a mm. way. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, um, you know, besides feeling, you know, really supported and, you know, from an accountability and cheerleading standpoint with taking your classes, I think it's just been really reassuring um, to know that I'm not the only, you know, recovering perfectionist and <laughs> that it is a certain element of letting go. And um, I pick a word for the year every year and uh, 2022 was faith. And so just, you know, putting the faith in myself and my mm -hmm. writing. Um, and, you know, I have been told over and over again. And so this is my, my sort of mantra for next year is trust the process, mm -hmm. but also enjoy the ride. So mm -hmm. I think, there is, with that, I think it just kind of lets you relax into it a little bit more. Not always, but um, I think that's been a really helpful framework. Trust the process and enjoy the ride. That could literally apply to everything if yeah. we could remember right? to make it. I just got back from this long, this long, you know, multi-day hike, and every morning I woke up thinking I can't do it, and every morning. I like prayed to remember that I could trust the process and enjoy the ride. And, yeah. and that can apply to making breakfast and it can apply to writing an entire book. That is yes. gorgeous. What is the biggest challenge that you face when it comes to writing? Uh, with that perfectionistic tendency, mm -hmm. I think I have to remind myself that this is a different kind of writing. It's a long form project. Um, and that, I am learning to write a book while I'm doing it. And so yeah. um, I think sometimes just managing my own expectations of myself and, um, you know, just giving myself a lot of grace and, um, you know, I love the word rejigger, which uh, <laughs> me and several of my classmates <laughs> still use um, in our writing group. And we just, um, you know, we, we do the best that we can. And, you know, I think it's okay to get frustrated, but I think as long as you acknowledge that and just keep going, I think, you know, the, the persistence and the faith together um, is how I combat the challenge of, you know, the critical self-editor, the thinking I'm not good enough, that I'm not mm -hmm. doing enough, not allocating enough time or resources. So um, I think that's kind of an ongoing challenge, but I think, again, that's something that I think most writers grapple with. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree. Most do. And it's, it's one of those things there, there aren't a lot of mosts in writing, but that is, that <laughs> is really, truly one of them. Yeah. What brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? You know, I think so much about um, trusting my 
intuition. And Mm. I have known since I was 10 years old that I wanted to be a writer. And I think I've always done it in some capacity. Um, But, you know, it's only been in the last seven years that I've had my freelance business and the last couple of years that I've really in earnest been working on my book, but always been taking classes. I've always kept journals. I've always done, you know, scrapbook, vacation books, that sort of thing. And so I think what brings me the most joy is when I am on the page and I am centered enough in my intuition that what comes from my heart is poured directly onto the page. And it's sort of this, um, this visceral feeling, or maybe like an energy reverberation. And you just know it when you're in the flow. And, you know, we all often joke about, you know, if we could bottle that and sell it and just live in the flow. But I think, you know, when you can tap into that, I think, because it is sometimes so fleeting, it makes it all the more sweet. Mm. That is absolutely beautiful. And you are such a beautiful model of looking at a person who knows how to trust their intuition and move with that flow. Um, So thank you for allowing me to see that as we've been working together too. Mm. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Yes. So this is kind of a uh, trick to get in the chair slash craft tip. Yes, Um, please. Often, um, I know people set timers. And so for me, when I'm just not feeling it, or I only have a short amount of time, um, this is another reframe, right? You don't have to set two, three hours of Mm -hmm. silent writing time. So I set a timer for 15 minutes and I do cleanup. And I think you do this as well. Um, But I'll go through and remove explaining language. Um, I'll look for repetitive information and just, you know, cleaning things up helps get me back into the Mm -hmm. manuscripts. But I also notice that I'm less likely to repeat information as I'm writing the first go round. And the repeating of information has been something that I just really wasn't aware of. And I think that's obviously so common in a first draft. Um, But I think that has also then strengthened my writing as a freelance journalist as well. So um, it's kind of a nice ripple effect. It feels like something that, you know, pays off down the line as well. I love that idea of the 15 minute cleanup. And I even love the idea of just calling it that because I am always willing to tidy. Like I'm always willing to walk into the kitchen and just start putting, you know, putter, I call it puttering. And I'm just putting things away and moving that to there and making sure that that's picked up. And I like to putter and I might try that just a 15 minute putter in the manuscript. And then you are willing to maybe do more or see things differently later. It's, it's that trick. It's that sweet, sweet love trick. As my friend Mona says, to get us, to get us into the chair. That's a good one. What is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you in your writing career? You know, I think for me, it's all of these small acts of kindness that are always being extended to me, you know, whether it's somebody taking an informational call to tell me about their process, um, how they wrote their memoir, um, or, you know, there are several of us from 90 Days to Done who have formed uh, a writing Mm -hmm. group slash fan club. And um, 
you know, we met last night and I was talking about receiving my editor's letter back and um, everyone was so, you know, supportive. And one of them took time to write me a separate email to tell me how proud they were of me and how much they've enjoyed watching my journey and how they can't wait to read my memoir. And I just was so touched by that. And another one sent me a call for submissions for a food focused literary magazine. And it just, it just really buoys you to feel like you have all these people who are looking out for you and who really have your back and who are as invested in you and your process uh, and success as you are in theirs. And I think, you know, there is something to be said, even just, you know, I get a text from another writer friend out of the blue, you know, maybe we took a class together once last year, but I just think um, we can't underestimate these small acts of kindness that really go such a long way to building your community and really lifting you up. And I think obviously it's reciprocal in many ways, um, but I just am so grateful for for people who who take the time um, to drop a note or say, hey, I'm thinking of you, or here's a class you could sign up for. Um, I just think it's, it's really important. I think I, I think I bang on about community so much, um, <laughs> but it is specifically the writing community that does this in such a gorgeous, gorgeous way. Like we, yes. we know no one else can support us the way our writing friends can support us. It is wonderful to have the support of our family and friends yes. who don't write, but nobody else gets us except yep. for the other writers. Yeah. I think that's such an incredible act of kindness is just to let someone know that they see you and to feel seen. Like that is just such a gift. And it was something that I'd heard before your class, certainly throughout your class. And just to be on the receiving end of that and to truly understand what that means and how that sustains you as a writer. It's just, it's unbelievable. Oh, I have goosebumps. I'm just thinking (laughs) about it. That is amazing. What is the kindest thing that you've ever done for yourself as a writer? Uh, I think throughout this year, I've learned to extend myself grace in the same way that I do for others. So I try to use um, kinder Mm self-talk. And then I think partly being a food writer and someone who has a lot of uh, connections of nourishment and love through food, um, I have started not as regularly as I'd like, but I have started taking time to make myself a second breakfast or a lunch Mm. and to sit down and eat something that I really want to eat that hits, you know, everything that I'm craving, whether it's, you know, creamy, spicy, crunchy, often something hot feels really, really nourishing. And I try very hard to put my phone away. If it's nice out, I'll sit out on the porch. I'll try to sit by the window otherwise. And just, I think that's such a generous act because Mm -hmm. I think it's, Often, you know, especially as a mother, it's easier to think of other people's needs. And I think for me, that's just been an extension of my personal growth journey, as well as my journey as a writer and believing that, you know, I, I'm good enough. I don't need to, you know, 
work myself until I'm cross-eyed, you know, I can afford to take 20 minutes and um, make myself something, you know, really nourishing to eat. I mean, I definitely have the sad, like lunch desk, you know, desk lunches and, um, you know, cobbling together leftovers, but when I can do that, it feels, you know, like a really important act of, of self-care and, and kindness. And I think my writing process is the better for it. You are particularly, you're, you're a nourishing writer, I have to say, by, mm. you know, me reading your work, both what I've seen in the classes and the, in the articles that you've written that I have read and enjoyed so much. You're so good at nourishing other people. And I'm very, very glad that you nourish yourself in that way, mm. both physically and with changing that interior self-talk that is just so difficult to do. Can you tell us um, perhaps a sentence that you might have let run through your head in the past, or maybe you'll let through run through your head tomorrow that you might want to autocorrect as, as it mm. goes through? That's a good one. Um, I think, again, it comes back to, um, I haven't done enough today, yes. you know, whether it's, I'm not as far along in this article as I wanted to be, or, you know, I didn't hit my word count or I didn't crack that revision. Um, and I think to go back to what you said about nourishing ourselves, I think all writers to some extent, um, words are very giving thing and the act of writing and sharing words, you know, inherently is nourishing somebody else. And I did a Reiki session for the first time a few weeks ago and around the heart chakra, there was a lot of, she described it as like a weeding out of energy um, and a heaviness you know, that she wanted it mm. to be lighter and more clear. And knowing that I'm a writer, she said that, you know, the act of writing and sharing your words is an act of love. And when you're constantly outpouring your words and your love, that also takes a different kind of energy. So I think I just autocorrect to, I am enough. Yes coming from a mindset of enough rather than scarcity, which I really identify with you on so many levels. When we were mm. talking about this stuff, I'm always coming from the not enough time. I didn't do enough. I'm not good enough. All of those things, but moving from a place of scarcity to that abundance nourishment place. Can you, and I know this is very difficult to do because I didn't prep you for this. And it's a beautiful article that you wrote that you know, that I love. Um, and I will link it in the show notes for this. Uh, but can you, just tell us a little bit about that idea that you had about the cup. Yes. Um, and it's so funny because it comes up all the time where I'll be saying something and my friends will remind me like, did you read that article? The full cup is for you. And um, that was so meaningful to have the opportunity to write that. Um, and it's for a website called um, Mother Untitled. And so it really explores this gray area in, in motherhood. But I think what's so resonant about the article that I wrote is that it really is life advice. And I think so often we believe that we have to refill our cups to be able to pour out for others. 
And I did this session with um, a coach and sort of got a mind-blowing reframe around it. And the takeaway is that the full cup is for you and it's the excess that others should be getting and that you do small things along the way to refill your cup so that you're not letting it dip below, you know, this line, I think. um, And it's so easy, I think, to do, especially as a creative, to just keep pouring out and pouring out and not really honoring what it takes to expend the words, the energy, the thoughts. Um, And so I, I think about it too, from, from a writing standpoint, but I really think it's just good life advice. Um, And so, yeah, I think sometimes I still find it hard to put into practice. And then I remind myself, you do something like a spontaneous weekend getaway, because it's going to fill up your cup to be with your close friends and to have that time before the holidays, so that you come from a place of abundance, sort of scarcity. And for a long time, those two mindsets were something that I understood intellectually, but I just didn't get it on a cellular or heart level. And so I think, um, yeah, speaking of getting to like, look back, you know, I wanted to write more personal essays this year. And so that was the first one that I wrote this year. And it was just so meaningful um, because I still hear from people who read it. And I think especially during the pandemic, just from a caretaking standpoint, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it it applies to everyone really. Um, So thank you for, for reminding me. And it's, it's something that you have to keep practicing. I think daily. Yeah. Daily remembering. And I'm very grateful to have remembered it today while talking to you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So can you tell us about the best book that you've read recently and why did you love it? Oh my goodness. So I, well, I have lots of to be read piles, um, <laughs> physical ones in my inbox newsletters. Um, I read, I try to read a lot within my genre. So my memoir is primarily food focused. Um, I really enjoyed um, a book called Savor by Fatima Ali. Mm-hmm. And um Sadly, she passed away before the completion of the book. She had terminal cancer, but she was a chef and um, a a budding television personality. And um, what was so incredible about the memoir is the, the visceral reaction I had towards the end. I just was so moved and I haven't ever been moved to tears mm. by a book quite like that. And I think part of it was the way that it was structured with the help of the writer um, was that there was also her mother's narrative woven throughout Mm -hmm. and their extreme vulnerability and courage to tell their family's story too. um, And to really not leave anything unsaid or anything unresolved and what a gift that is for her whole family, um, even though she's sadly no longer with us. And just thinking about the impact that we have on people's lives that we, we don't even realize, but certainly through the act of putting words to paper. And 
um, there it's really multifaceted. It's it's about um, you know being a Pakistani female chef. Um, just just that alone, um, her journey to discovering her queerness, uh, reconciling childhood trauma, um, her own mother's you know grappling with societal expectations of what it means to be a woman and a mother in Pakistan. Um, and the food writing is also just gorgeous, but that, you know, I think I was also surprised because that wasn't even what was most resonant for me. And I think that's really the mark of a great book is when you're able to surprise a reader in a way that also engages them on such a deep level. Um, so that one really stood out. And I do also want to give a shout out to um, my classmate, Maggie M, yes. who I read Penny for uh, Playlist. Is that the correct title? Anyway, um, Penny, Penny for, for your playlist? Playlist, yes, yes. yes. Sorry, Maggie. Um, but I'm just so proud to have like witnessed a small part of her journey. And she's written this amazing debut and it's just so yes. sophisticated. And the fact that she's writing a series is just really incredible. And I just, it's so exciting to see one of your contemporaries who's starting out cross the finish line and publish a book and have it in the hands of readers. And um, I just, I really enjoyed reading it. And I just applaud Maggie so much for, for the work that she's done. Isn't that amazing? That just like yeah. hurts, hurts my face with the, with the smile on my face. Thank you for both of those recommendations. Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit about your book, what it's about, if you don't mind, and mm -hmm. what your next steps are. So my book is um, on a, a broad level. It's about a food writer and a mother who's discovering what she's hungry for and learning to honor both her needs and her wants. And I think so much of it is still gelling, but it touches on themes of motherhood, um, especially through the lens of my maternal lineage, um, my Lebanese American grandmother, um, the notion of food as nourishment, uh, but also punishment in some ways. Um, and I think so much about it is reflective of this personal growth journey, which let's be honest, we're never really done with, but, um, I really have seen the way that I've been able to shift this mindset around thinking that, you know, being seen and heard and valued is something that has to be earned and think realizing now that. I am enough as I am, and it's it's not a luxury. And um, I think so much of taking that time. I mean, it's it's hard and it's uncomfortable to like turn that lens inward. But um, I think it's really made me a more um, compassionate interviewer and researcher, and certainly writer. Um, so, yeah. I love what you just said. It is not a luxury. It's not a luxury. This, this work that you're doing, it is, it is a need. 
And it is a calling that you are responding to. And I'm so excited to watch you go forward and then to have you again on the show when it's out and we can talk all about it then. Thank you. (laughs) If people want to find you online and find where you're writing your articles, where can that be done? Uh, You can go to my website, which is wordswithlayla.com. I'm also active on Instagram. It's words underscore with underscore Layla. And I'm still on Twitter, which is uh, words underscore with Layla. Um, But I tend to update my portfolio on my website and post uh, to stories. Um, My Instagram posts are ruminations on a word. I give a definition and then give my interpretation um, based on what's happening in my life in the world or inspired by a photo. And I have found that that's a really wonderful way to connect, um, not just with people I know, but, you know, I think people who would also be interested in reading my book. And I know that, you know, in the ever shifting landscape that is social media, um, you know, I, I want to kind of double down on connecting with those people who really engage and I will be launching a newsletter in the new year. So good sign up for my newsletter on my website, wordswithlayla.com as well. And that'll have all sorts of fun things, whether it's um, things I've eaten, uh, book recommendations, uh, self-care tips, links to other things that I'm reading. Um, It'll just be kind of uh, a snapshot. And then I aspire to write some um, standalone essays that I want to share with uh, newsletter subscribers as well. So that's kind of going to be alongside the manuscript revision um, next year. I love your writing. And the first thing I'm going to do is go run over there and subscribe immediately. Thank you. That is what I will do. Thank you, Layla, for being here. It has been a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Ditto. It's always such a pleasure and I'm very honored. I'm such a fan and um, I just am really grateful for your guidance and your support and bringing all these other wonderful writers and readers and listeners uh, into my, my community too. That makes me so happy. Thank you, Leila. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.